The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. All right, missed that button there. I saw Scott. I did? Had yeah. Had it twice? Yeah, it looked like it. <laughs> All right, it's that time. We're back. <laughs> I'm just going along with the beat, no? man. A little Kasabian. I just, my, my fingers and toes start tapping. Can't Spits help it. Up. Some outcast during the break. Yep. Long song. <laughs> We're back on the Sour Hour. Brewing Network. I'm your host, Jay. Here with Scott. Word. How's it going, Scott? Good, brother. We're both doing really well after drinking a lot of great Yazoo slash Embrace the Funk beer from yeah. the first show. I noticed I'm always doing a little bit better when you ask me that question at the top of the second show. Yeah, it's like usually, I'm doing great. Yeah, we've imbibed some uh, Yazoo beers, some Cascade beers, and Wicked whatever it is, you know. It's good times. Wicked weed. Wicked weed. <laughs> Wicked something. <laughs> but we do have uh, Brandon Jones, the wrangler of the funk, who embraces the funk. For Milk the Funk, on the line with us. What's up, fellas? What's up? There he is. If you are listening to this show with Atlas in the first one, go back and check that out for sure. A lot of good uh, background on Yazoo, and we talked about our upcoming collaboration, which we're really excited about. But uh, what I'm really excited about right now is to hear more about your process, Brandon. But uh, maybe we could just start with the next beer we have open. You could tell us a little bit about Never Again Ale, which uh, we let warm up, and it is dynamite. Thanks. Yeah, Never Again was a project that I did not intend on this beer that you're drinking, okay? So the original idea, we had we had been out for some barrel selection, and we came across these really cool 40-year-old Oloroso sherry barrels. And they just smelled incredible. We loved them. And uh, so we ordered eight of them and uh, ordered the big racks. I, sh- I say barrels. They're actually casks. I think these were 100 and maybe 150, 153-gallon casks. So we got them in. They didn't. They just. They just weren't right. So we had to kind of push the brew day back, and we put in another order and uh, got in some other ones. And uh, oh, these smelled incredible. They smelled just just like every sherry that I absolutely just love after dinner. So we brewed our beer, and uh, I, I try to do a little bit of on on these bigger beers. I'll do a stainless fermentation for for about a week, uh, just to kind of let everything go and just 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 get used to each other because like we were talking about with the bigger beers and acidity um it's it's a little harder to produce acidity in in larger beers uh, or high gravity beers so the barrels i start working on them and you know remember these are 40 years old and they looked every bit 40 years old they looked like something that had been on a pirate ship which was really cool looking until the, until a few of them uh the bands broke uh, we had some that were that were sitting there, and the bands literally snapped, and the barrels just collapsed into each other. Ooh. And so, we had to wait a little bit longer uh, to get replacement uh, oak in. Did and any of the beer come out? The beer is still in stainless at this point. Oh, okay, gotcha. okay. So um, I'm still uh, I'm still working on these barrels, trying to get them sealed because I don't know, like a lot of people don't realize that uh, sherry is made through oxidative purposes. So the staves aren't quite 
you know, snugged up probably like a wine barrel would be. So uh, some of them are intentionally opened up with reeds at the top sometimes. Hmm. So, you know, you got you got to go through and make sure your barrels are, barrels and oak are sealed up just, um, you know, for our purposes, because oxygen, you know, is cl- clearly our enemy in uh, in funky and sour produ- production. So I go through and I, and I feel like I got everything really good on this. And I don't want to steam these barrels. I don't want to fill them up because these barrels are 40 years old. They got 40 years worth of just awesome sherry in them. So I'm doing my best to not have to dump all this nuance down the drain. And I go through and I, and I feel like I've really got these staves tied. I've, I've worked the hoops. I've, I think I've done everything right. And I fill the barrels. And... I hang around the brewery for a few hours and they're not leaking. You know, they're not water, uh, water fountaining out the sides or anything like that. So I think, Oh man, we, we've got this. This is, this is great. I get a call the next morning from, uh, from Ken, our QC guy. And he's like, man, these casks are leaking. And I'm thinking in my mind, I've got my mind of what a leak is. And then my mind as to what people that the people at the brewery that don't deal in Oak as to what a leak is. And I'm thinking it's more of a weep. And we're losing uh, a pint of beer probably every 15 to 20 minutes Ooh. out of these casks. Wow. Wow. And so I'm like, crap. So I get up, I, I rush on in, and I'm in television at this time. I'm not even full-time at the brewery. So my old schedule, I would go into work at 2 o'clock in the evening, uh, afternoon and work till 11 o'clock, where I worked on the 6 p.m. and 10 p.m. newscasts. So I had a few hours to do what I needed to in the morning. And I get there, and I, I realize that a couple of these, I, I'm not going to be able to stop these leaks. I'm trying everything I can, blow torches, um, just you know anything I can. Well, we've gotten some barrels in um, for a different project, and I run upstairs and uh, got these barrels and uh, just start racking, racking the beer out and uh, put them in those barrels and uh, was able to save a good amount of the beer. Uh, you know, keep in mind, this time we're still at the brewery. We're still at the main brewery. So I'm downstairs. I've got this this microbacterial-laden beer leaking out everywhere. And we've got 120-barrel fermenters, 200-barrel fermenters. We've got the filter going, the bottling line, uh, everything else. And, you know, here's old Brandon with his 40-year-old casks standing here with blowtorches trying to fix this. And uh, so I know that made some people nervous that day. Um so I get the beer into the other barrels and uh, manage to uh, manage to hold a good amount of it in there. And I think, okay, we're we're good now. We're good. Six months later, we go to move uh, these these casks are so big. So you remember the other show? I was saying we stored the uh, the sour beer stuff upstairs. So these are on such big racks. Once we get them upstairs, our pallet jack won't get underneath them. So these these casks have to sit downstairs on the floor of the brewery for uh, at least six months before we get our new facility built out. And so once we get that built out, we moved everything over there. Uh, I think we had four casks, uh, four sherry casks that survived that we moved over. We get everything over there, um, get everything lined up in, in the rows, come back over the next day, and damn it, if there's not two of them that are leaking six months later, they're leaking oh. again. I'm like, good God, come on. And I'm not set up for like a bunch of CO2 at this point, so I go and, and I just I had some barrels with holding solution in them, empty those out, uh, and those happen to be wine barrels. So at this point, we've got sherry barrels and uh, bourbon barrels, and now I've got this beer into wine barrels now. And 
I get it out. I get the beer out of there in into the wine barrels and uh, let that age for a little while longer. And so now we're down to two sherry casks. Pretty much everything's double barrel aged at this point, and um, we let that age another uh, about another year because the beer just hadn't developed yet. And um, we finally end up two years later with this Belgian Dark Strong that's in uh, that has uh, what four or five different uh, treatments in it. And I start thinking, well, we could do a whole series of this. So we'll have sherry barrel of this, we'll have bourbon barrel of this, and we'll also have uh, some Tennessee whiskey, and then we'll have some uh, red wine of this. And I just go and I start dumping in after I after I've tasted everything, I dump everything into one glass and just, just go to drinking. I was like, wait a minute, this blend actually is where it's at. I don't need to release five different versions of this. This blend is what I need to do. So I blended everything together, put it in the tank, we go to bottle it. I'm thinking just something's gonna go wrong. We uh, we run a, a little forehead mahine that's it's about fifteen years old and if you've ever worked with mahines uh, that are of that age, you know, they can be very finicky and you've got a beer that you don't have a whole lot of. So you're trying to save every ounce you can at this point. We get um, we get everything great. Uh, the bottling day was perfect. It was it was the most perfect bottling days we've ever had. I'm like, wow, this this is fantastic. I don't I think the curse is broken. So we have everything all in the all in the boxes, all on the pallets, and uh, go to take it over to uh, the main brewery to label it. We didn't have our labeler over at the uh, over at the barrel facility, so it gets loaded up onto the truck, and uh, we had two pallets of it. Uh, one pallet uh, slipped. And knocked another pallet over and uh, broke about uh, 40, 50 cases inside the oh. box truck of this beer. No. It's painful. <laughs> so like, and this is the night. I, I left. I was scheduled to fly out uh, to go to Hunapu Day the next day, the next morning out of a 7 a.m. flight. And this is like 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And so I'm like, oh, man, here we go. So get in there, picking up every bottle. There's shards of glass. So every one of these bottles has to be hand-washed that survived, uh, has to be, well, picked up, first of all. The whole box truck had to be mopped out and cleaned out. Every bottle had to be hand-washed and uh, dried on a rack. I still haven't had a name for it yet. And uh, I just I said to Linus one day, I was like, you know, I really like this beer a lot. I think it's a great beer, but I am never, we are never making this again because there's our name, <laughs> never again. So we chronicled the whole thing. You can look on uh, yazubrew.com slash never again. There's pictures of, uh, of everything that happened. Um, it's, that's, it's not a marketing story. It happened. Uh, it's, it, it, it really did. All that stuff truly did happen. Um, it made for a great story. Uh, I think the beer is even better than the story, but the story certainly has some, uh, some fun legs and makes a good discussion topic. And the fact that we were able to uh, blend out this beer and, and make it a fun beer and uh, you just come up with a fun name for it and have a, have a cool backstory on it was uh, kind of the icing on a uh, crazy two-year journey of this beer. <laughs> Yeah, well, after tasting the beer, uh, the story and the name almost seemed like an apology for the people who were drinking it. It's like, hey, just so you know, I know you like this. It's this tastes great, but never again. I'm never doing this again. It's I actually, fantastic. It's, it's been one of the beers that uh, we've actually been requested the most uh, within this past year to uh, remake, and I just I, I'm I'm not doing it again. That's it. I was serious. I I named the beer never again, and I'm never making it again. And Hopefully, the people that truly enjoyed it bought a case of it, and uh, maybe they can trade for another bottle. If people are listening or are interested in this beer, but uh, it's 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 definitely a, a one-off. 
hopefully you can stick to that. You know, I mean, if you proclaim never again, then you better never make it again. Because if you walk it back, it looks a little silly. Oh, then I can just call it oops. Uh, oops, I did it again. <laughs> Boy. He's already planned ahead. Boy, who cried wolf brewing company. Brit, Brit. Brit's big into craft beer. Love she is, that's what I hear. Oh, yeah. Real active on Milk the Funk. <laughs> totally. Yeah, she, she said as much when I saw her in Vegas. She said oh, yeah. it from she, the stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, I think like, she goes by the name Devin Bell on, yeah. on the phone. <laughs> well, thanks for sending us a bottle of it, man. Uh, that's a good time. Yeah, that's cool. So we got another beer. Scott uh, went and grabbed us the uh, Funk Fest 16, uh, and I want to get into that as well. But really, I want to get into some of the nitty-gritty of uh, kind of just the overall process of what you're doing there, Brandon. So you mentioned before... Uh, one of the earlier beers you did, you had 25 to 30 different microbes you mentioned. What cultures are you dealing with? How are you maintaining them? And where do you see them go over time? Well, it's, it's changed quite a bit since we uh, started the program. So one of the things that I used to do um, in the in the early days, I feel like, say, in the mid-2000s, early 2000s, the early days, but... You know, let's, let's be honest, like there wasn't a whole lot of op- there weren't a whole lot of options out there for uh, cultures um, from the uh, two major yeast labs uh, that uh, supply to home brewers. There wasn't there wasn't a vast majority of, uh, of microbes like we have now. I mean, you've got labs like Omega. You've got bootleg biology here in Nashville that has their killer project with uh, isolating yeast uh, from every zip code in the United States. Uh, so you didn't have the options that we have now. So back, I sound like an old guy, and I'm, I'm clearly not trying to claim that I am, but you had these bottles that you could get, and you probably could step up the yeast out of them in your house. And these were cultures that weren't available through the major yeast labs. So it helped you. It helped me learn uh, sanitation for sure. I mean, if you're stepping up dregs, you, you better be good at your process. So that taught me really good process on being as sanitary as I possibly could in my kitchen but also testing different uh, different strains uh, in my kitchen and in my garage in small batches uh, at different temperatures uh, using oxygen to see what the what kind of characters I could get out of them and I would just simply I would store these in mason jars in uh, in a little refrigerator and uh, so I built up uh, drags uh, and uh, mixed cultures from uh, different bottles of lambic saisons uh, um, Pretty much anything I could find, uh, you know, Tennessee didn't have a whole lot of options. So thankfully, there were some friends that I had made uh, on the More Beer Forum uh, in the mid-2000s and early 2000s that uh, would send me bottles of some of these great California sours and uh, some fun things that uh, Russian River and uh, uh, Lost Abbey were doing. So I was able to get those get those going. Recently, recently being five years ago or so, make friends with uh, with. Uh, people that are biologists and uh, chemists by trade that are interested in, uh, in, micro- in microbiology. You know, surprisingly, some of those guys will actually work for beer uh, on the side. So you can isolate uh, some different uh, microbes out of it and, uh, and uh, freeze them and store them. So we've been able to do that and uh, build our own libraries. Um, and uh, I can just kind of pick and choose the different microbes that I like to add into our beers. And uh, we've worked up... Um, uh, Deruge's, uh, which I think was the one I was referring to earlier, I believe is around 25 different microbes in that. Uh, a majority of those being different Britannomyces, um, but there's a, a good a good bit of uh, different uh, lactic acid-producing bacteria in there. Uh, really, the only thing fresh that we add 
when we do uh, derouches is I use a little bit of our house yeast uh, at Yazoo, which is an ESB strain. Um, I use a little bit of that. It doesn't get, uh, especially in an acidic environment, it doesn't get a, a great bit of attenuation. So it still leaves a good bit of, uh, of sugars there, but it also starts creating uh, some CO2 for us, uh, which I feel like uh, when we're in barrels, it definitely, the more CO2 production we get as far as when we're creating acidity, uh, the more stable the beers are and uh, the cleaner acidity that we get out of them, then we can we get that acidity and then the brett just kind of takes over from uh, from that lack of attenuation from the ESB strain and uh, provides us the funkiness of it. So that's kind of my approach on uh, on derouges. But just kind of wrangling microbes has always been a really cool thing. I always enjoyed when I was uh, homebrewing. That was kind of my not my secret, not so secret type weapon was to uh, was to use bottle drags uh, from commercial producers instead of using uh, from yeast labs. And I felt like it gave me a depth that some of the other microbes that you could just go to the homebrew store and buy just didn't have. And so that kind of gave me an edge when I was uh, when I was competing. And uh, I felt like that kind of paid off for me, too. And saving those and, and learning about how those uh, react in different environments definitely uh, definitely made me a better blender and uh, taught me taught me more than I think I could have learned from uh, uh, from going out and just buying my strains. Yeah, definitely. That's a that's an awesome overview. And I think you know, back when you know, you're starting all this, and it's even true to a certain extent today. Some of the main yeast labs, you know, that are offering the classic Brett strains and bacteria, you know, sometimes you can get kind of a more varied result from these dregs. But now with the pr- proliferation of small yeast labs, they're kind of doing almost the same thing as Brandon was describing, for homebrewers everywhere. So there's, like, tons of Brett blends and uh, sour beer blends. And if you guys are interested in getting some of those, you know where you should go, Scott. Um, guessing Wine and Hop Shop? The Wine and Hop Shop at wineandhop.com. They're carrying our friends Omega Yeast and Gig Yeast. Most times they're going to ship within 24 hours. And best of all, listeners get a flat $8 shipping rate on ours under 50 pounds. Just enter B and shipping the notes field of the shopping cart, and the discount will be taken off after checkout. Wineandhop.com. Man, that was like um, channeling the Micro Machines guy from when we were kids. I only did that fast. Not, not because, uh, you know, I didn't want to give Wine and Hop their proper due, but... We've got so much beer here, yeah, so much to talk with Brandon about. I feel like, you know, we're not spending enough time on the beers. We're not getting to enough questions. Mm-hmm. I have a ton of questions. I keep writing them down, and I'm like, oh, can I ask all these? So this is a monster show. We'll probably run a little long, but uh, we're having what? a great time with Brandon. We are, and the Wine and Hop Shop guys, they would be okay with us getting through that quickly because they would be about the beer, too. You know what they're about? We actually, so the lights in here are on a timer. You said the sponsors thank them from us. They keep the lights on. Mm -hmm. Lights are on a timer. Yes. During the break, we'll call the wine and hop shop and they will provide us additional light to extend the show. Okay. I'm sure they will. Yeah, I know they will. So if you guys like this show, thank the wine and hop shop at wineandhop.com. Indeed. And let me ask quickly, you have to indulge me. I know we have a big show here, but why was the, the using bottle dregs such a well-kept secret. It seems so... I mean, I never thought about it, but it, and that's been something that's been a theme of this show since the beginning. It seems so commonsensical. Why was it such a well-kept secret? Brandon, why don't you go first? I've got my own take on that, but I'd like to hear what, what you have to say on that one. Oh, I think that there was, uh, I don't know, ignorance on cell counts. I mean, there was a lot of misinformation in the early 2000s 
that I think kind of dated back to when people were still using dry, you know, dry yeast for a lot of uh, a lot of their home brews. Um, the liquid yeasts were starting to get traction. Smack packs were starting to get traction. So people weren't used to the cell counts. Um, I don't think that enough home brewers were paying attention to pitching enough healthy yeast. Uh, so you had a lot of brewers that were trying to do that, um, trying to step up yeast um, that may have just been bottling yeast at that point. So, you know, you, you're looking for this, let's just say like a, like a Belgian influence, like a, you know, a Chimay yeast would be pretty, that's pretty easy to distinguish a Chimay yeast. Uh, but let's just say that another brewery used that yeast uh, that they had uh, purchased from wherever. And, uh, but then they bottle with a champagne yeast. And so people were stepping those up and they weren't getting the results that they're expecting. So it kind of got poo-pooed on there. The yeast were probably laggy, um, a little bit unhealthy. People weren't spending the amount of time they needed to, to uh, prop up uh, proper pitches of uh, healthy cultures. I mean, that was the key was healthy cultures, not just running up your dregs on a, you know a 500 milliliter starter for uh, four days and then pitching it into your uh, into your beer it just doesn't work that way you got to spend weeks stepping up dregs uh, in the homebrew world i mean if you're in, the, in a lab you can do it a little bit quicker with growth medias and uh and and temperature and and shakers but i mean if you're just doing it in your kitchen i mean you're gonna be, you're gonna spend a few weeks doing this and you're gonna do it you're gonna need to do it properly that, that's kind of my opinion on it um I'm sure, and like Jay said, he's got one. Um, but I just feel like that there was probably a lot of misinformation um, at that point when the internets were first getting started. As far as uh, forums, uh, there was just some bad information, and it, it, it was a it was a very viable way that you could add a little bit of depth that you weren't getting from from lab grown uh, cultures. Yeah, I think that's a great rundown. The perspective I have is kind of more from the the line of thinking of brewers being proprietary about their strains. You know, I think the yeast labs are very careful when they describe the different strains that they offer to the public as, you know, this is our fill-in-the-blank city yeast, and then there's a famous brewery from that city, and so that's their yeast. It's just banked at this yeast lab. And, you know, if you're a home brewer, it's kind of loose you don't really mind taking cultures from other breweries but then when that steps up to a professional level you know some brewers take offense to other breweries using yeast and bacteria that they've cultured in their brewery's beers some don't mind just my take on it personally is they're living organisms they're already available for sale by these yeast labs you can you know engineer your own proprietary yeast by banking it in your brewery, having uh, either some sort of filtration, pasteurization, killer yeast in your bottle conditioning. You can protect yeast if you choose to, but it's pretty hard to do that. And, you know, everyone uses these microbes so differently, the beers are always going to turn out different. Um, I remember when we had Firestone Walker Barrel Works on the show and uh, Jim showed us around right when... uh, we, right before we were open, our beers at the Rare Barrel were just kind of starting to develop. And we were chatting about the, the things he was doing in fermentation, the things I was doing in fermentation. And we both since branched off into many different types of fermentation since then. But our initial projects were, were quite similar in character or in process. But in character, there are distinct differences also. So even there, you know, having that direct comparison is 
informative because different brewers can have you know the same recipes, the same yeast, the temperatures, the pitching rates, all that stuff. And it's going to make a different beer. Just like, you know, inside your own brewery, you try to make the same beer again, it's going to be a little bit different. So just my take on it and maybe why, you know, dregs aren't talked about as much. But the stuff that you're seeing at, you know, through Wine and Hop Shop, you're seeing here are these Brett blends. Those Bretts came from somewhere. Sometimes it'll be kind of a more, I hate to use the word organic source, but just like a, a non-brewery related source. So it'd be something like isolated from the skin of a peach or, you know, a, a grape or, you know, some orchard. And they sell that single strain isolate. That's kind of the more organic way to go about things. But I'd say the majority of the yeast and bacteria strains actually come from beers that already exist. They've just morphed over time. They're all maybe the same strain but they're developing their own characteristics just like you know how many types of saccharomyces cerevisiae are there and you know it's the same strain but we get all these different characters out of it i think now it's time for brett and bacteria to catch up with that and you know why limit the innovation on that end of rant (laughs) and if you have these uh and even if you do pull so like if if we've got a 200 barrel conical uh, that's got yeast drop in it, I mean that's it might be a little hard to visualize for you know some of the deals in five, ten, fifteen gallon batches, but I mean that's a lot of yeast drop inside of a 200 barrel. So if I pull off yeast for the first, um, you know, from the first bit of drop, those are probably the lazy guys. Those are the ones that aren't aren't super healthy. I mean, yeah, they might have like consumed some sugars, uh, you know, converted some stuff over. But if I pull those over and I decide to use that, yeah, I'm probably going to get a little less attenuation. And if I keep going with that, then those yeast cells are probably just going to stay stay lazy no matter what I do to them. I mean, that's that's what I noticed when I when I've done these things. Um, I, I don't have any other <laughs> I don't have like any sort of a scientific backing on that. It's just purely things that I've noticed. If I pull the first drops, yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to be less attenuation in the secondary, in the pitch that I give that. So, you know, that's why brewers try to always go with the mid-range. You don't want the ones that's going to flock out early, and you don't want the ones that are going to flock out late. Uh, you know, you want the mid-range uh, cells in there. And there's variance in there. So you could have, you know, potentially have in, you know, three different types of behavior from these yeast cells and it's all the same it's all the same uh species absolutely there's so much variability that yeah. you know the the drift in there is, is something really to deal with and that comes up to the individual brewer their fermentations and their blending let's get to a question and then a break this question just like all questions even scott's question just then brought to you by sourbeerblog.com follow along with all of dr lambic's adventures including articles about the rare barrel which is one the one that's currently up feels weird that's like feels like a double plug it's like i already love sourbeerblog.com he asked me to do an interview he ran down a lot of the uh, some tasting notes on a lot of our beers and it was just terrific so if you're uh, a fan of that stuff go check it out sourbeerblog.com a lot of great articles up there yes indeed uh we're over time for a break so let me just quickly get to the question and then we'll answer it when we get back it's from jared from denver colorado he said his question is about a 20-liter uh, uh, white oak barrel. It seems to have gone a bit acetic. 
the barrel was first used for Merlot and then to age several clean beers. Uh, he turned the barrel sour with a Brett Dregs slurry he had been propagating for a while. He said, my latest beer out of the barrel is an Oudbrun, which had an acetic character to it, and that hurt its review in a recent competition. He enjoyed the beer, but he wants to improve it. So the question is, what recommendations do you guys have to reduce the acetobacter presence in the barrel so that future beers may be a bit more balanced? All right. That's an excellent question, Jared. And we'll uh, get Brandon's take, and I'll chime in, too, right after a quick break. We'll be right back on the Sour Hour. Hey, my brewing brothers and sisters, this is Jamel Zanisha, and I love a bold, hoppy beer, one that spits resin in your face and makes you cry, uncle. There are a lot of great hoppy beers out there, but at Heretic, we want to make something as bold, dank, and resiny as possible. We use hops at every chance we get, including multiple dry hop additions. The result is Heretic Evil Cousin. This light golden, 8% imperial IPA has an easy malt character that helps take the edge off the massive bittering but it takes a back seat to the in-your-face hop character. We make sure this beer finishes dry so the hops can jump out and slam me in the taste buds. If you can't get enough hoppy goodness, Evil Cousin is your cup of tea. Cheers. Okay. Ooh, I wasn't expecting it. That, I'm not timing. Too soon? Too we can soon? go back if you want. All right. And All right, right that was a little bit better. Okay, We're back. <laughs> Sour hour. I want to tell you guys about a few things. The iDip Smart Brew Water Testing Kit. If you guys buy this, please write in and tell us how it goes because I think this is really cool. And... I think there's a lot of ways you can geek out about water by using this. It's just going to make it a lot easier. It's got, it's got, Shit. It's got just missed a fly that's around here. Did I, I can't understand how it's I missed still, these yeah, stupid right things. That's right above God. You. While I, you uh, continue to clap in the background, yeah, I'll sorry. talk about the, the Smart Brew Water Testing Kit. Can I dip help me kill fruit flies? Yes, and I'll tell you why. It incorporates a revolutionary photometer, which kills fruit flies, <laughs> and is the first and only one on the market with its own app, Multilingual. Wow. And it's going to allow you to focus on the taste of your beer. Pairs via Bluetooth and updates your water results instantly to your own personal water profile. It's going to test for things like total alkalinity, chloride, calcium hardness, pH, and sulfate, and many, many more things that I don't understand, but this can tell you about. Brew Network special for all podcast listeners. You can enter the code TBN10, so that's TBN10 at checkout and save $10 on either the standard or advanced smart brew testing kit. If I get it, I'm going to get the advanced. That's my style. Yeah. I'm just always going to get right the, for it. the souped up one. Sure. I'm a sucker for gadgets. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and if you are too, you should order now and make this futuristic technology part of your brewing process. Visit smartbrewkit.com. Indeed. And let's do one more while we're at it. This one's Free. Back to back. AHA is bringing this to you for free. It's the free Brew Guru app. What can it do for you? No one else uses that phrase. (laughs) (laughs) It's built for homebrewers and beer lovers. Brew Guru delivers sage brewing knowledge and money-saving deals at breweries, beer bars, and homebrew supply shops. The American Homebrewers Association, our friends over there, have designed this powerful mobile app to help homebrewers and craft beer lovers both explore the wide world of beer that we all share. With Brew Guru, 
You, <laughs> you, <laughs> Wait, Aaron, Aaron. Do you remember, bartender Aaron's in here. Do you remember uh, the Sharks player, Jonathan Chichu? I'll bet Jonathan Chichu uses Brew Guru. Jonathan Chichu down the ice, clears the blue line. I don't know. And uh, out to the blue line to Timu. Solani. Timu Solani to Chichu. Aaron knows knows what's up. That makes total sense. Sorry, Brandon. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, the Brew Guru is going to effortlessly help you find deals and save money on beer, food, and brewing supplies. Level up your brew IQ with handpicked articles, proven recipes, and trusted resources. From two places that have a lot of that stuff, the American Homebrewers Association and Zymergy Magazine. This is also going to be a powerful brewery locator to find nearby breweries, tap rooms, beer bars, beers, homebrew supply shops, and brew pubs. Wherever you are, Brew Guru will lead you to a good beer. Get the app today. Follow the path to beery enlightenment. It's free for the iPhone, iPad, Android devices. Learn more at homebrewersassociation.com. I bet you Brandon from Yazoo wants the Brew Guru. I'd Brew Guru the hell out of Brew Guru. (laughs) (laughs) So much information. That that iDip thing, though, I really did look at that at a uh, trade show. That thing's pretty rad. Yeah. I I didn't buy one, but, I mean, it's... It's it's pretty right, Brandon. Though. I listen. We can hook you up with a nice ten dollar discount on either the standard or advanced smart brew you testing kit. That's you right. Better you, believe you, I'd you, be in in the comments. Hey, I just want to say something. Uh, TBN ten at checkout. I still I still donate every single month to uh, to the brewing network. Wow. Even to this day, I've got it still set up from uh, gosh five six years ago. I still donate. No kidding, man. Thanks. Yep. That's you, really absolutely. cool. Absolutely. He's a he's a great man. An infantry member, or what? I don't know what the levels are. But. <laughs> Sergeant or Sergeant? corporal, or yeah. whatever's the cheapest. What is it like fifty cent? No, <laughs> I think, a, I think it's two I mean, bucks. It's a few bucks a month. Like yeah. I don't know, like four or five bucks a month or something like that. But mm-hmm. I mean, I still remember when uh, getting a getting an order from uh, More Beer and getting a card in there. And it said that they were going to start this this podcast thing about Brewing Network, and I was like, oh, "That'll go over well." <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> well, that's because, dude, Brandon, that was two thousand five. I mean, did you even yeah. know what a podcast was? I don't even think it was called a podcast. I think it was just it might have even called Prodigy AOL Internet Radio. I don't know. <laughs> I just remember getting the I just remember getting the card in the mail with uh, with an order, and uh, I was still buying brew kits at that time. So um, I was pretty involved with the More Beer Forum at, at that point. Uh, at one point, I was actually a moderator of that, uh, of that forum with uh, Jamil. It's back when Jamil used to post on it and uh, John Palmer. Man. Um, that was, I mean, that was, we're talking like 04, 03, 05 yeah. in, that, in that era. Yep. Man, I mean, I knew you were an OG, but I, I didn't realize how much, man. So that's really cool. Thanks for the support, man. The reason yeah, the Sour Hour exists is because of people like you from the early days. Well, we try. Absolutely. Keeping the lights on, as we mentioned all the mm-hmm. time. Indeed. And, uh, yeah, if you want to go back and check out the Milk the Funk episode of the Sour Hour, Brandon's got some great uh, throwbacks to his uh, different BN uh, awards and Collins and stuff like that, <laughs> which is pretty great. Oh, did you win yeah. something? Were you like a drunk of the year or something? I was. Uh, so I won uh, drunk of the week and also was fallen soldier of the year in uh, 2010. Oh, God. You, yeah. Remember that. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> we lost uh, because JP got. So what happened was in 2010, uh, Nashville had a thousand year flood. That's and, right. Uh, so we were evacuated and my kegerator and equipment was destroyed. And uh, wow. so uh, JP, was, I believe, was still with uh, more beer at that time. Yeah. And, uh, but it was like so the tail Chris, end. Yeah. 
Yeah, so Chris uh, Chris Graham uh, donated uh, new Perlick taps and um, new fittings and uh, new hoses and uh, sent it right to my house, and I was able to rebuild my keg grader. That's and, amazing. Uh, did you, get, did you get call, some craft beer going. Did you call in and describe your, like, basement or something? Yeah, I did. Wow, so I was man, just listening one week and uh, called in uh, just to uh, try to compete with uh, Blobbergoff on uh, on Drunk of the Week. And uh, he and uh, so I started telling my story as to, uh, you know, we had been back in the house for a few weeks. And it was with the first week that I could just sit down and not have to clean mud. And the yard didn't smell like garbage. Oh. And uh, so I was sitting outside and uh, started telling the story. And, like, and you know, Justin started Justin comes like wait a minute hold on here let's let's make this a little serious here so I told what all had happened about being evacuated and everything and uh I think that went on for about 10 or 15 minutes and um then uh, a few days later uh JP emailed me and uh, said that Chris was going to send out uh, new stuff for my keg writer so yeah, I've always appreciated more beer for uh you know for what they did for starting the forum and getting homebrewers involved but then also, you know, helping me out uh, in that time because, I mean, Perlick Taps, you know, are not cheap. So it was it was pretty cool of Chris to do that. And now and now look, now you're a pro in your your blazing trails and sour beer. You know, it reminds me of like um, like a, if you were a sponsored child in some third world country. <laughs> and now, look, you've grown into an adult and you're a contributor. And I mean, you know, you give a little charity in before and then you never know what it's going to lead to. Also, Jay slid me a note while you were speaking, telling me to stop smoking so much weed because apparently my <laughs> memory shot. And I had the exact same reaction to this when you on the Milk the Funk episode. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it was over a year ago, but it, that's kind of pathetic. I, I have a short memory, so I'm sorry. I'm, I, but I shouldn't it, be as blown away. It was that. actually awesome because you just saw the same, like, wonderment and joy on your face. <laughs> and is. I was like. It's I joyful. I want to remind you, like, you you knew this already. You knew, yeah. <laughs> it's cool. It's, like, it's like an episode of uh, Memento or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're definitely going backwards, that's for sure. Oh, for God's <laughs> sakes. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, it's just, uh, I, you know, I feel the same way as Brandon, just with all the, all the BN shows being such an influence on uh you know i wouldn't be here because of that and uh you know i actually never you know i was never uh you know uh what do you call it a subscriber or you know paid into the bn army i did cheap ass i gave you no, a- shut up you know cj never oh, contributed okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. got done we had some 49ers tickets that i sent up here one time i don't remember who went but what? yeah we should look that back up because that's kind of funny funny correspondence was it red on the show i don't think so oh no way but yeah, now you know. Now I feel like I'm 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 paying it back. Yeah, you. Are. I hope you are. I would say so. <laughs> all right. Well, that you guys are awesome, and here we are. And yeah, BN shows are great. Okay. Doing sour beer. Yeah. All right. So now we have another Brett saison opened, and I think this is the one you were referencing earlier, um, Brandon. This is the remixed. The remixed. Okay. Right on. So remixed. Uh, remixed has its origins actually starting back to uh, 2012, and we we were still upstairs at Yazoo at the time. And we were getting a couple of 200-barrel tanks dropped in, so they had to cut the roof open, and it was in December. And so the weather's gorgeous. It's just one of those dry, crisp weather weather weeks here in Nashville where it was going to be in the 30s and as the lows in the 50s or 60s in the day. So the roof's open for a few days while they set up the cranes to uh, get these big tanks in. And the day, the day that the tanks come in, Everybody's down there. They're looking. They've got these, you know, huge 200 barrel tanks. They're dropping them in through the roof, and and you know, here comes Brandon rolling in, and and walks up to the line. So I was like, "Hey, uh, 
how long is that roof going to be open? He's like, what? They got like three inches of clearance on each side of this. These, these tanks are like, I don't know, a hundred yards in the air. And, uh, he's like, I, I don't know, like, like a few days. And, uh, so I said, okay, cool. I, I got a good idea. And, uh, so I just, I go over uh, to the pilot system and, uh, make a batch of, um, you know, what would be considered a traditional, uh, uh, work, the starchy, starchy traditional work with, uh, some age tops that I've been aging in my attic here at my house and, uh, took it upstairs and, uh, put it on. I had this, uh, I found this big, like plastic tote that held like 20 gallons and I uh, cleaned it out, sanitized it and uh, put it up on sawhorses and uh, set it up there in the upstairs and uh, put the word out to, uh, to inoculate overnight and, uh, came out the next day, racked it over in the carboys and, uh, just like, well, let's see what happens with, uh, some spontaneous here. Um, I don't really know what the microbes are in this area, but this seems cool. A little over a year later, uh, open up the, uh, carboys and taste. I was like, Oh, this is fan. I really like this. So we ended up uh, kegging up some of it, bottling a little bit of it, and uh, serving it at our uh, annual uh, festival called uh, Funk Fest. Uh, I saved the dregs out of it. Uh, the actual beer that uh, that we made out of the spontaneous um, actually ended up going to the medal round uh, two years ago at a GABF. Uh, we got kicked in the medal round, but I always always say it was a fourth place beer. Um, <laughs> but I was kind of excited. I mean, a beer that I uh, just did on our pilot system and. Uh, did in a uh, in a rubber tote or a plastic tote, just uh, sitting up on sawhorses. I was I was kind of impressed. It went that far at GABF for uh, spontaneous, but I saved the dregs um, uh, in some little test tubes, and uh, we had a, a couple barrels that I had saison in uh, in uh, 2015. I never, re- I didn't really ever have a plan what I was going to do with the drags uh, that I saved out of the carboys, so I just thought, well, I'm going to just dump them in here and uh, and kind of sour the sky up and tart it up and uh, and see what happens. Uh, so I put it in there and then I let that uh, that barrel age for about eight or ten months and uh, let the uh, microbes take over, and uh, really liked the taste we got out of it. I got a lot of stone fruit, uh, a lot of uh, white wine and pear character. Out of it, I felt like it really kicked up our uh, our saison uh, that was in those barrels, and uh, so bottled up. So that's kind of the remixed version. It was just our it was our base Brett saison with those uh, spontaneous cultures that uh, we saved from uh, 100% spontaneous fermentation from 2012 uh, added to the barrels. It's a uh... Absolutely fantastic. And from humble beginnings came this great beer. And your description, the pear white wine, totally spot on. Yeah, definitely. And just a lovely beer. Before we move any further, my bad. This is, you know, we. <laughs> I made a mistake. We've been doing this podcast two plus years. I'm still a noob at, you know, this radio thing and segments and transitions and timing the thing i am absolutely the worst at is if we tease a question before mm-hmm. the break mm-hmm. and then try and come back and answer it i'm um, apologies to jared from denver let's uh get back to his question which uh was a 20 liter barrel with, with oh, some yeah. acetic qualities and he's looking for advice on how to dampen that down exactly Ooh. remember he he had turned the barrel sour with a brett dreg slurry and uh, his Oud Bruin that came out of it that was a little acetic. So what are recommendations to reduce the acetobacter presence in the barrel? Uh, he's not going to like my answer. My answer is very simple. Uh, make your barrel into furniture. It's no good. That's my advice. Um, if we get aceto in a barrel, it's it's gone. Uh, I don't deal with acetobacter. I've got way too much other stuff. I mean, that's 20 liters. What that's like, that's a five-gallon barrel, barrel mm-hmm. right? Yep. 
I mean, you can. I mean, I, w- I would just suggest getting a new barrel. Um, I mean, you can do certain things to kind of dampen that down, I guess. You know, acido is like you produce some CO2 inside of it, and, you know, that can help dampen that down. But the fact of the matter is you've got a porous substance, you know. If you're to the point where it's in your budget to have to keep something like that, you probably don't have a steamer. Um, you could probably try a wallpaper steamer. Um, we actually have a couple of wallpaper steamers that, uh, that I use. Uh, to steam our barrels with they're like 40 bucks and um, hold about a gallon and a half of water and you can pick those up on amazon and uh, you can try to steam your barrel and uh, get it super hot and see what you can do to, to kill it uh, for 40 bucks but honestly i would just i would take that 40 bucks and uh, you know maybe go buy some lotto tickets and uh, <laughs> and uh, get you and get you a fresh barrel and start i mean sour beers um being so close to me and them being properly made without uh, without happy accidents in them, uh, with a you know with a good vision in mind, uh, is what makes a, a great sour beer. So um, I would I would just implore you to make great sour beer instead of sour beer that kind of passes. Now, Jay, before you offer your two cents, Jared did say that a pro brewer he recently met suggested adding the Rosalaire blend to the barrel, which would help to outcompete and minimize the acetic character in the future. Does that change what maybe you were going to say? No, in all due respect, I don't think that's true. But well, a couple comments on uh, building on Brandon's points. One, you know, he said the, the wallpaper steamer, if you guys are interested in really cool suggestions like that, check out Brandon's blog embrace the funk there's a lot of cool stuff like that and if you haven't read through that then you know you could be making better beer by learning from his experiences so i definitely check that out and then i'll i'll actually point out a point of distinction with brandon which is and just overall with sour beer producers which is acetic acid acetic character and acetobacter kind of different things there so the acetic character acetic acid part that's something that all you've heard me say before. All sour beers are going to have some level of acetic acid. Sometimes it's perceivable. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's excessive. So what I'm hearing from Jared's email is that he's got, for his taste, too high of acetic acid. Now, whether that's acetobacter or not is, to me, difficult to determine without kind of more advanced lab testing. And... You know, this is not tried and true, so I'll caveat my next statement by that. This is kind of my theory. But if you're developing lots of acetic acid and, in turn, lots of ethyl acetate, so just taking a step back, that's a lot of vinegar-type taste in your beer and a lot of nail polish-type smell. If you're developing that in a very short period of time, just a month to three months, you possibly have an acetobacter infection because that's not going to stop for a lot of things, if it's just way too much acetobacter. If this is developed over 6, 10, 14 months, something like that, it could be due to too much oxygen getting into your 5-gallon oak barrel. That's a lot of porous surface that's letting micro-oxygenation into your beer over a long period of time. The cultures that are in there could just be absorbing that oxygen, producing acetic acid, and maybe in turn ethyl acetate. He didn't mention ethyl acetate, but that's almost always the next step. So I'd be interested to know more about what the nature of your problem is, but if it's more the latter of what I was explaining, maybe the barrel is salvageable, but I tend to agree with Brandon that 
if you're worried at all, if there's a borderline issue, just let it go. Those barrels are fantastic for putting in cocktails. So tap it, put in a Manhattan, drink one every night, <laughs> and call us in a year and say thank you. There you go. <laughs> or make some hot sauce. I mean, those barrels are great for hot sauce. Yes, and mm. I have started to make my own hot sauce at mm. home. So All I'm right. passionate about that. Do you do that, Brandon? Yeah, absolutely. What? Come on, man. Right. Hot sauce in my bag swag. <laughs> <laughs> we need to do a hot sauce trade. We really do. You know who else has good hot sauce? It's Levi Funk. We got to get a three-way trade going on here. I'm so down for that three-way. Who, who's the th- who's the third guy? Levi Funk from uh, Funk Factory Guzzeria. Oh, okay. He uh, he's got some really good hot sauce too. But yeah, man, let's do some hot sauce trading. We'll it's fun. I've actually got a uh, uh, one I'm going to kick off soon. I just harvested uh, a bunch of peppers from my backyard. It's going to go in a go in a barrel. So I mean, it's clearly got a while to do fermentation, but. Yeah, I mean, anything hot, hot chicken, hot sauce, whatever. I can't wait to have hot chicken when I'm in Nashville. Oh, dude, I cannot wait. I'm going to, like, we're going to go, we're going to go do it right, too. If we're not the, in the danger, tour, we've talked it's about not this done before. right. Yeah. Can you, guys, can you guys FaceTime me when you're doing that so I can kind of sort of live vicariously? <laughs> <laughs> Better then than later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, what are we? Uh, what's our status here? Scott? Are we close to a break, or should we do some more questions? Uh, let's. Uh, yeah, we'll, let's do one more question. I actually, maybe I could do a question then, because I wanted to talk yeah. uh, to Brandon about. He do mentioned it. using TA over pH, which is something we've talked about a lot on the show. And I'm wondering how often does the titratable acidity come into your thought process? Is it kind of all? You mentioned the the Berliner that you make, but is it influencing your blending decisions? How you're deciding? You know carbonation in your packaging process how, how often are you using ta ta is is probably the main driver on uh on how i make the blends um it will make the final blends now i do go my process is i go through and i taste the barrels just make my initial notes on just what kind of character i'm getting out of it i don't really whether it's a dark cherry or lemon or pear or something like that it's just basic food Basically, I, I like to equate a lot of it to food. So whatever kind of food character I'm getting out of the barrels, um, I go through and make my notes on that. Uh, then when I go back and I start doing TA levels and I start really paying attention to acidity or a funkiness in the barrels, uh, that's when I start. Uh, that's, that's when I start uh, titrating. And that that's a big. It's been a big influence probably in the past year with our blends, and I feel like our blends are softer. Uh, the the uh, talk that I did at uh, Southern Brewers Conference uh, earlier this year uh, in Nashville, uh, my whole presentation was on acidity and oak, and uh, the the too long didn't read version of that was stop using your pH meter to make your blends and move over to TA um, because if you know how TA and pH, what those actually measure, and you're really trying to make bottles of beer or, you know, beers that you've worked on for a year and a half, you would absolutely use TA. It's It just makes sense because that's detectable by humans and that's detectable on your tongue. So why not use a scale that's actually linear to what your consumers are going to be, you know, consuming? So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it does a lot for me. I, I'm able to pick out soft barrels. Uh, you know, as you know, each barrel, especially especially um, ones that have been going for two to three rounds, they will develop their own characteristics. Uh, they will do no matter what you want them to do. These barrels are going to do their thing. 
and you can kind of count on for having a great soft acidity or you got this one that's just always just like this beautiful lemon and lime character to it. But then you got this other one that just produces this great dark cherry strawberry soft sourness in it. And so when you start measuring the TA levels, when you start getting into blending, um, our blends typically consist of at least 10 to 15 different barrels. Um, our batches, our batch sizes are about 40 barrels each time. So I'm blending anywhere from uh, 10 to 15 to 22 different wine barrels. So I've got to know what's happening in each one of these. And if I can, if I need to pull out some softer ones, I can. And the scale of a TA certainly helps me do that. I'm just not one of these blenders that really cares a whole lot about uh, big sourness in my beers. I, I, I don't particularly enjoy that. Um, I, I like nuanced. Um, I like things that are more balanced and more well-blended. Uh, things that are uh, th- that would absolutely pair with my foods. So the balance and the uh, the nuance in there, I feel like you can only get that by measuring uh, TA and tasting tasting the barrels. If you're only paying attention to uh, pH, then I mean you're you're completely missing the other side of the pie on that. Here, here, we do a lot of pH readings. We're kind of in the transition stage over to going to. More TA implementation, it's great to get your perspective on that. pH for us is kind of more of a, a quick glance more than a guiding force. It's kind of like, you know, the well, difference. Yeah, and I don't want to absolutely, like, say don't, you know, throw your pH meter out because, I mean, pH sure. is, is definitely important in, in the brewing world. Um, I think that it stops, I mean, at least in my house, it stops at a certain point where, to me, the way that I create our beers and the way that my workflow goes the usability of it, the reliability of it to me doesn't translate to what I want to accomplish um, in somebody's glass. So if I'm trying to create something that I feel like that people are going to have more than two to three beers of, I've got to rely on TA on it. But if we're trying to look for pH drops, we're trying to look for make sure that these bacteria are taking hold and these guys are actually producing acidity in the beers, then by all means, yeah, the pH you really need. And you can get a good scope. I mean, you can get a good wide range, I think, view of what your batch is doing with pH. It's just that once I started doing a lot more research into it a couple of years ago, TA is TA is just what is what I feel like that most brewers should be doing. Um, if you're going to have a, if you're going to have large scale blends, I mean, if you've got breweries that don't want to invest in the equipment to do those, even though you can get smaller uh, kits from uh, from winemaking uh, shops that are instant kits and they're a little bit more pricey uh, to do it that way. But if you've got a small brewery that's maybe doing with two to three different barrels of each batch and maybe they've got 40 barrels total and they're going to make you know some great blend together i would i would really implore those guys to uh to buy some instant test kits and uh see where these guys see where your barrels are falling on the scale if you're upwards of 10 and then a 10 on the scale and then you've got some that are sitting at a six i mean you might just you might be missing out on this really beautiful blend that you're just not going to get the information from from ph but you do know that your barrels are sour by pH. Yep, absolutely. It's more of the uh, the broad strokes with pH, kind of like the, hey, is this 3 to 3.5, three, 3.5 three, to 4, or 4 plus? You can kind of roughly categorize things as very sour, lightly sour, and not sour, uh, respectively, kind of on those absolutely. rough parameters. But, I mean, even then, it, 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 I echo what you're saying, Brandon, that, 
the TA is much stronger. And then even if you have TA, the the most important thing is still going to be sensory. So tasting, tasting your beers. You got to know your barrels and you got to know your product. You know your microbes. It goes from... It goes back to what we were talking about earlier about using bottle drags. And st- for me, what it goes back to is using drags, using the, the microbes that I kept in mason jars and doing small batches with those and knowing what my microbes produce and how to implore those guys. I mean, it's just like if you go to your toolbox, I mean, you wouldn't grab a, a flathead screwdriver to, uh, you know, go do something with a Phillips head. I mean, it just doesn't make sense to do it that way. So just knowing what tools are available in your toolbox, you're going to be you're going to get your you're going to get your job done quicker and more efficiently and hopefully with a with a better product that your customers are happy with. Absolutely. Brandon, I'm going to ask you something a little unprecedented. I know I don't know if we've actually done this before. We, do you, are you willing to stick with us one more segment? And yeah, absolutely. Great. We're taking up a lot of your time, so I appreciate no. that. I, I got more beer up here. Um, <laughs> I actually have not opened the bourbon yet, so I'm actually uh, enjoying a Brett Not Sour right now. So Excellent. Well, we'll get to some bourbon in the next segment. We'll be right back on the Sour yep. Hour. The Vault, created by White Labs. The Vault is a collection of new, creative, and unique yeast strains from around the world. These strains have never been available to homebrewers. Most have not even been available to professionals. You have the power to release the yeast. Through the Vault, White Labs is giving you the power to decide which strains are put into production and giving you the opportunity to brew with these strains. Visit whitelabs.com slash the vault and pre-order the yeast strain of your choice and encourage your friends to do the same. Once 250 pre-orders have been achieved, White Labs will put that strain into production. The strain will be mailed directly to your doorstep, ready to make the beer you've always wanted to brew. This program was created with the home brewer in mind. White Labs is relying on you to help release these strains, which may blaze the way for future new and unique beers. Help release the yeast. Visit whitelabs.com slash the vault. This is Vinny at Russian River Brewing Company. I'm getting funky on the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. All right, we are back. I want to thank, again, our great sponsor, Oregon Fruit Products. They make the aseptic purees that are so easy to use and convenient to store. No additives or artificial flavors, simply the great expression of raw fruit. They love working with brewers, and they help us innovate at the Rare Barrel. Check them out at fruitforbrewing.com, Oregon Fruit. They bring fruit, Lahayim. Did that? Was that? <laughs> that was perfect. No, you perfect did it translation. Yeah. Uh, welcome back to the Sour Hour. Coming up on our uh, the end of our show, our double dip with uh, Brandon Jones of Yazoo Brewing Company. I was a little worried during the break because that was a quick one for us off the air, and uh, I, I'm worried that Brandon isn't there and he's going off to get a bourbon drink. Let's see, Brandon. I, I'm still here, guys. Oh, okay, that's for after the show, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just realized I had another crowler to open, so oh, it's all good. <laughs> Excellent. I'm well, going for, like, my ninth glass of remixed right now. Uh, you know what awesome I'm doing? Beer. I'm doing the same thing I do with pie, where, like, if I eat it one thin slice at a time, but I still eat half the pie in a sitting, <laughs> it somehow feels better. So I'm, like, pouring, like, two ounces at a time, but I've done it, like, 80 times. So, uh, you know. It's been great having all these beers, and uh, there's a lot of other people here. 
at the Brewing Network Studios mm-hmm. that uh, can share in this, and uh, it's a happy night for them as well. Indeed it is. They're getting the uh, the bits that we don't drink in the studio, so thank oh. you for sending all that beer, Brandon. Definitely. Oh, man, absolutely. Like I told you earlier, it makes me feel good to be able to at least give something tangible back to uh, to the BN somehow, as much uh, as influence as they've had on my uh, brewing career. Well, also, you're really just a Scott, but that's fine. <laughs> well, and also, the U.S. currency you've been giving counts to, so let's not, yeah. you know. Awesome. Well, uh, I've, I've got a few uh, last questions I want to ask you of my own, but... Uh, Scott has informed me that we've got a, a nice, juicy question that we haven't answered in a while. Yeah, I've, you know, we've got an um, archive of backlog. If you, if you sent in a question like a year and a half ago and it never got read, believe me, they're, they're all still there. We just try to read them in order of, like, you know, relevance and whatever. And so sometimes we don't get to stuff for a while. So, you know, hang in there. You never know when you're going to hear it. This one is from uh, Bennett Stoffberg, who writes in an email titled, Lactobacillus starter, This is Africa. He says, Dear Matt, Jay, and Scott, he included Matt, uh, Dr. Lambic on here. He said, I have to start by blowing smoke, and I will probably not stop, so I'm just going to leave it. Thank you for being awesome. Here's the short version. I made a lactose starter from grains. It's been going uh, well for 48 hours, but I will probably only to uh, be able to make use uh, for his uh, Berliner Weiss kettle sour uh, in about two weeks' time. He said, Do I keep... Uh, it at the fermentation temperature of 45 degrees Celsius, or do I cool it down and store it in my keezer? Let's start there. It's a longer email, though. Is he talking about the lactose starter? Where what temperature he's going to store that, or the the, the la- yeah the lactose starter? Why don't you go first, Brandon? I'll keep my opinions to myself for now. He said forty five degrees C. Yeah, is yeah. that what he said? Yeah. I mean, that's to me that's pretty warm. I mean, that's getting like what one hundred fifteen. Uh, I, I have no idea, but I'll take your word for it. Let's see. <laughs> okay. Hold on a second. Just, wait, wait. Scott is looking at. Oh wait, Scott's doing his what Siri thing. Is forty five degrees Celsius in Fahrenheit? Oh come on, come on, one hundred fifteen. Do it, do it. 113. What did you oh, say, Brandon? Close. You said 115? 115. Right I now. said 115. Bam. Price is right scoring. You're still yeah. in the game. Or no, wait, you're out. Is <laughs> it over? I'd be out if it's Price is right. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> well, I feel like that's a little warm uh, for it. I mean, I would I would dial the temp back uh, down in about 15 degrees. What was he saying? I actually forget the question now. He just wants to know if uh, he should cool it down and store it in his keyser or if he should store it at, his, at the fermentation tub. I, I assume he's talking about his culture. Um, yeah. I would store uh, bacterias uh, at, uh, at room temp. I mean, they just seem happier to me that way. Uh, yeast, I don't know, yeast is a totally different story, but uh, to me, bacterias, um, I mean, just like... Uh, just like uh, if you're getting a, a bacterial infection, you know, in your ear, I mean, those areas of your uh, your body are warm. So, I mean, that's where they thrive. That's where they they do their their best worst, I guess, is the best way to put it. Somebody's so, got kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> somebody's 40 years old and still gets ear infections like a 12-year-old. Oh. Um, <laughs> the chicken pox is coming up next year. Get ready. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, my advice would just be uh, stored at room temp. That would be my advice. Um, I would dial that temp back and uh, store it at room temp. And then my other advice would be to uh, not kettle sour it. And uh, <laughs> just uh, I'm not and I'm not saying kettle sours are bad. I'm just saying if you're doing this, uh, you don't know what your cultures are. So let them develop out. And uh, you might have this really cool strain uh, or variation of, uh, of lacto that might produce some killer flavors. You know, at, at two to three weeks, uh, when they're when it's combined live with uh, some sort of Saccharomyces or Abertanomyces, um, if you're if you're going to kill it, 
uh, within 24 hours, then you don't know the full potential of what you've just grown up off your grain. So uh, give it a chance. It may it may end up being a, a bitter beer for it. You know, as you were giving that answer, Brandon, I was kind of in my own mindset. And then you, you convinced me. I, I think that's that's a good approach when it comes to the grain starter. But I overall... And I'm the wrong person to ask because we don't kettle sour, and I've never even done a grain starter. But I'm pretty against that in principle. And, again, take it with a grain of salt. Thank you. Uh-huh. Boom. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you you don't know what those cultures are. And so if you're talking about making kettle sour beer, mostly you're talking about trying to get a clean, quick acidity. And so why not use something that's going to give you a clean, quick acidity that's just known? You know, I think there's a novelty when it comes to, uh, you know, souring something from the grain. But, you know, if you can just get a probiotic pill, you know, that, that, did you mention this is from South Africa? Yeah, it is. And, in fact, there's there's uh, that was kind of the uh, too long didn't read version of the question. And it, it's it go, he actually gives a, a sort of more detailed version of the question and the fact that, yeah, he lives in Africa. And so maybe that might change your opinion. Maybe not, but I'll, when you're done, I'll, I'll go on and, yeah, and read that, a little more of it. That may just makes me more understanding of why you're trying to do this from grain. Maybe the availability exactly. uh, isn't, yeah. isn't quite as good. Right. Um, but I think when it comes to kettle sour, and especially if you look on Milk the Funk, there's plenty of documentation about this. There's a wiki page, and you can look at uh, sour beer blogs, Fast Sour with Lactobacillus, Part 1 and 2. But alternative sources of Lactobacillus are plentiful, and I think you can ship them internationally, and they'll hold up. I mean, we've got—we haven't used these, but I just bought them for no reason for the rare barrels, so we just have them. We have these Lactobacillus pills, and it's just Lactobacillus plantarum in pill form, and it's like— Hey, I don't know why we would want to do this at any point, but here they are in case we want to. So maybe that's the a road you could go down. If you're going for the clean thing, but I agree with Brandon, if you're trying to get something cool from the grain, maybe you could just culture that, you know, and focus on that part of it and make it cool and less about the kettle sour. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's what I would do. I think if you're just, like Jay said, if you're just trying to create acidity, I would go another route. Um, I would I would stick with your culture. If you're going to spend the time and the effort, uh, the few days it's going to take to do this grain culture and you're clearly concerned about it, then, I mean, let this guy express itself. Uh, see what it does. Um, if you uh, just want that quick, clean acidity, you know, I assume if you've, if you've got Internet, then you probably have a grocery store around and you can probably go buy some yogurt and, uh, and sour it that way uh, within 24 hours. If, if that's all you're trying to accomplish, but if you're really concerned about your culture, then uh, you know let it grow up. It's it's just a kid right now. Let it grow up and you know see what it becomes like as an adult in your finished beer. Let me go on and read some of the rest of the email just because it's very interesting, and I wonder if any of it will uh, change any of the the sentiment you guys just expressed. So he says, that when, he, "Hey, let me ask yeah. you, when was this email sent?" Uh, in June, June nine. I'm just curious because there was a guy that posted on Milk the Funk uh, earlier this week, actually, uh, in an area in Africa that he's in. Hmm. And uh, he was talking about all this spontaneous fermentation and all these uh, different things that these tribes are doing that he's met. Hmm. It's a really, really interesting read. And the pictures that he posted of some of these tribes digging, I mean, this, is, this is the cool stuff that you can find on Milk the Funk is these you know guys that are out in places in Africa I've never heard of. And they found these they found these tribes and they've done these 
these fermented beverages and they they're doing things like digging holes and burying pots in there and uh, they're only using the native cultures as to what is in their tribal area so i mean it's just it's absolutely fascinating to me super to, cool. to yeah. read this i mean it's just super cool i mean the, you've got this global connection like that and and that's that part of uh, that's that part of what this uh, what this group has built, and and how exciting these beers can these beers can be, uh, because you get this influence from things like that. I mean, how cool would it be, Jay, if like our process for our collaboration was influenced by some remote African tribe? I mean, that would just <laughs> that be, sounds great. <laughs> I mean, that just sounds. I mean, to me, like an absolute win. That's a global okay. collab right there. Yeah. I also saw that. Yeah. It's like talking about like fermented sugarcane wine and stuff like that. Although I would say uh, I'm pretty sure they're different people because I think uh, the person who just posted on Milk the Funk is in uh, West Africa yeah, right like now. And uh, Togo or some, one of those weird West African countries. Ben- Benin? Benin. Yeah. yeah Benin. Oh, is that it? Yeah. yeah Togo oh, and Benin okay. right next to each other. Yeah. That was, yeah I think super it was Benin. tiny countries. Yeah. Yeah. Scott the world traveler. He's <laughs> tapped in. Yeah. Um, so it's not this guy because, yeah, this guy's in South Africa. But so um, okay. let me let me just quickly get through this. He said uh, he's been a binge or, um, as I call it, gang listening to the podcast. Oh, and he's been devouring Dr. Lambic's posts. And he said he's on episode 27 of this show. And he, want, that's, he decided to do the Berliner Weiss with the all uh, uh, kettle sour techniques that we've discussed here. And uh, he said it'll be his first sour ever. And he hasn't even tasted one because there are none available in South Africa. He's so, on episode 27. And he's just making his first sour. Wow, yeah, isn't that's that crazy? Great patience. Yeah, okay. So enter problem one, he says. I live in South Africa. None of the homebrew shops or homebrew forums can help me with lab-cultured lacto, like you guys said. Um, all uh, just suggest probiotics. Uh, yeah. Or if you can find a sour beer using bottle drags. Listening to the shows on lambic beers and spontaneous fermentation, I decided to culture lacto from grains. Problem two, I cannot find lacto or phosphoric acid. Uh, sorry, lactic or phosphoric acid. I made um, three what? one three one liter starters with um, 1040 gravity after a 15 minute boil, bubbled CO2 for a while through each flask, and added a couple of hands full of one local SA pale malt in flask one, two Maris Otter pale malt in flask two, three flaked barley in flask three. Says he added a stopper with an airlock and placed in his fermentation fridge at 45 degrees C, 113 Fahrenheit. 40 hours later, all three have none of the horrible smells described. All have a slight cheese smell, but not very strong and a pleasant pineapple smell. Uh, they all have a nice, refreshing acidity, and uh, you can taste the pineapple. I think the Maris Otter has the most pleasant smell and taste so far. So, for the next two weeks, do I keep it at fermentation temp of 45C, or do I cool it down and store in my keyser? That sounds interesting. So, I, I'm actually going to take a step back and cut in here and say, I, now I, I mean, this is a long time ago, but if, maybe if you could if you're still interested in doing this or actually, you know, just email us back and tell us about what actually happens since we're so far behind. But it sounds like you're developing a lot of butyric acid or ethyl butyrate and then some isovaleric acid. That's so sorry. I've taken another step back. Isovaleric acid. That's the cheesy ethyl butyrate is what I'm guessing is your pineapple smell. Cause that's a little unusual to have that early, but then I, I've found that people's thresholds for, the transition from, and I'm sorry if I'm going to get a little wonky here, but stick with me. Uh, you know, you start out with developing this acid called butyric acid. And a lot of people view that as like, or interpret that uh, through smell and taste as vomit or bile, you know, just like awful, off-putting. But 
the same per- like a, another person tasting the exact same beer can view the good parts of it, the ethyl butyrate, the esterization of that acid, and that's pineapple, guava, mango, all these brilliant tropical fruits. And I've had beers at the Rare Barrel that I'll give to Alex, our co-founder, who's very sensitive to this in in the way that he gets a lot of the vomit. Uh, and he's like, this is disgusting. And I've just brought him my favorite beer in the cellar because I'm not as sensitive <laughs> to it. And I'm just like, this is like awesome. If all of our beers tasted like this, it would be great. And so there's a big variation there. But and then getting back to the isovaleric acid, that's something that should clean up over time with a strong Brett culture. But if in the absence of that, I'm not sure if it will. So even though you didn't get maybe the typical off flavors that you read about, those are some dangerous flavors, the isovaleric, you know, hopefully that cleans up. It kind of expresses itself uh, apparently as like a berry character over time. So there's chances those can pull out with a strong Brett culture. But again, it's good that you didn't get the uh, the typical off flavors. Maybe if you boil off, you'll, you know, you won't have the cheese or the vomit slash pineapple shine through. But it's a little bit of crapshoot. But it sounds like you have some cool flavors there going on that could age out and turn into something nice um, in a long aging process, kind of like what Brandon was talking about. But I don't want to speak for the man. Brandon, what do you think about that idea? No, I think I think you're absolutely right. I would I would let it ride and let it see where it goes. Um, he's got some uh, really cool uh, really cool characters going on there that could you know could potentially make a really really awesome beer down the road. But I just I feel like that if you've got all this good base character that you're happy with, why kill it? You know, it's not. Uh, I don't think what you're going to accomplish in a 24 hour sour is going to be anything compared to what you get down the road. All right, and this guy's name is Bennett. Bennett, yep. Bennett in Bennett, South Africa. Bennett, send in, send in some more info, man. We got, we got to know what's back. happening. Yeah, give us an update and uh, let us know what's going on. If you are binge listening, you're on 27 in June. Let me just extrapolate. You should be listening to this tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and thanks for writing in all the way from South Africa. And sorry it took us so long to get to the question. That's terrific, though. Great question. But also check out Swanson. Uh, Swanson is uh, yeah. where a lot of people get their uh, probiotics. So uh, I think they ship internationally. So you might be able to get you a, uh, a vial of like 50 uh, lacto, uh, lacto pills to use. But, I mean, it sounds like to me if you've got those cool cultures, then just ride with that, buddy. Yep. And uh, Black Man Yeast, which we've mentioned a few times on the show, they do a lot of dry uh, cultures. I don't know. I can't remember if they do it just straight dry lacto or not, but... Um, and I have no idea what their shipping is, but that I'm sure you could get in touch with someone who could get you that those cultures. So, yeah, there's some options for you international listeners out there for sure. All right. With the little time we have left, Brandon, I want to get to a few last questions. Kind of big picture for you, you know, as you've been making so much sour beer over the years. I, I want to know kind of your one of your lightning bolt moments along the way where you were just like, you know what? I changed this about my process. And I've gotten a really positive result out of it going forward. Is there anything that kind of like stuck out to you, whether it's, you know, hot side or aging or even like bottle conditioning, whatever it might be, just that's really jumped up the quality of your beer, in your opinion? Well, uh, quitting television (laughs) (laughs) and and doing this full time, uh, you know, I kind of make the joke about it. But, I mean, if you're going to be serious about having a – a sour program or a barrel aging program that is going to be 
a good portion of of any sort of of uh, of your brewery, then I mean, you need somebody that is dedicated to it, and it's not just. Man, I, I hate that Corey took the name Side Project because that kind of messes <laughs> up what I'm going to say. But Side Project, I mean, clearly Corey's got his nail in everything. But you know, the, the thing that kills me is a lot of times breweries have these little small side projects going, and they go buy a couple smack packs and you know throw those into a bourbon barrel with their uh, with their Irish red and, and call it a sour. And that's not. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm pretty defensive on what I do because this is all I do. I live in I live and breathe funk. And so that's what I want. That's what I want the takeaway to be is like, this is all I do. So I want these beers to be great. I want these beers to uh, be expressive. I want these beers to be very enjoyable. And I want people to understand the, the time and the effort that it goes in, that goes into making a well-made sour and funky beer. So, um, yeah, being full time, uh, I feel like the quality of our beers has, uh, has gone way up, uh, especially our production has definitely gone up. But the uh, quality of the blends, I've gotten to know the barrels uh, better. I, I was pretty familiar with our microbes that we use, but just knowing how these these guys do in 55 or 59 gallon barrels, punch-ins, and you know even you know 1200 gallon fooders now, um, how they express themselves over the years. So just the time, I mean, honestly, that was, I would say that is kind of my lightning bolt moment. Switching over to uh, TA for measuring acidity is probably another one. And uh, using less lactobacillus in the brewery hmm. and um, just being able to give time for the uh, pediococcus to uh, run its course and to uh, do what it needs to do along with, uh, with our uh, breath strains. That's uh, that's been a big. I think that's really made the quality of the beers um, just a little more elegant, I guess, um, a little more nuanced. Uh, things that I think that uh, express themselves over the course of uh, of forty five minutes of enjoying a couple glasses of beer. Uh, I feel like you just don't get that uh, when you're going lacto heavy. Great takeaways there, and uh, you know, I fear I again blew one of my last questions, but by almost asking the opposite uh you know you mentioned going full time and then some you know so some stuff with ta and maybe limiting lacto uh as as positive steps but if you could say you know looking across the sour beer landscape beers you've had brewers you've talked to what do you think is the biggest mistake in sour beer making oh man this is gonna get me in trouble isn't it the proliferation of uh, kettle sours, uh, as far as smaller breweries that have nothing, have no other vested interest in acidic beers, pumping out poorly made ones. Um, I have no problem with kettle sours. I've, I've made that point very clear on any channel that I've ever been on at Yazoo. We do make a kettle sour beer, and that's the Goza, and we make about 1,500 barrels a year of it. I mean, that's that's a lot of beer. Oh, yeah. Um, so, and we do that within a, uh, three, three and a half month time frame. So, I mean, we sell a lot of it, we make a lot of it and it's a delicious beer. It's a great beer. It's, um, it, it hits on everything that I feel like goes and needs to be, but there's the poorly, it's the poorly executed ones that, uh, kind of screw it up for the rest of us. If people are, if breweries are going to do that. And, uh, and they have concerns about contaminating their breweries, which are absolutely valid concerns. And I want people to, 
I always want people to really enjoy sour beers. And if there's, you know, some place that, you know, Nashville was one of these places where you couldn't get sour beer. So if there are other places out there where you've got a small brew pub that really, truly enjoys these styles and truly enjoys acidity in their beers and they want to do something, but they just simply don't have something like we do. Uh, with a separate facility where we can keep live cultures going and we can just bottle whatever we want to because we have our own bottling lines or our kegging lines. If they need to make it that way, I would just, you know, I would just say, please do your research, learn the techniques on how to make these, uh, make these beers clean and, uh, and free of all flavors because it's not doing any of us any favors if it's a poorly made one. Um, that probably goes for any style, but I feel like that, uh, in, in, in this current era, uh, with the way that craft beer is and, uh, in the way that, uh, a lot of brew pubs are opening up and, uh, small nano breweries that just please make sure you do your proper research and, uh, learn what kind of techniques make good, clean lactic sourness out of, uh, out of kettle sours. You're here. That Absolutely. Is that, did they get me in trouble? Did I do all right you know, with that Honestly, one? I don't think so. I mean, I, I, I really never want to offend somebody with it because, like I said, I don't ever have a problem with it. Um, it's it's another tool in the toolbox, and if you can use it properly, then by all means use it properly. Be upfront about what you're doing with it. Don't do a kettle sour and then you know put it in a caged in cork and sell it for $35 and call it a Lambic. That's where I would actually really have a problem with you. But if you're just making, you know, some a beer with acidity in it and you're going to make it interesting by adding fruit to it or you know, barrel aging it, then by all means, go for it. Go for it. You know your customer base better than I do. I know mine. And I feel like I'm going to start saying things I shouldn't. But, you know, that, that's just my that's my look at it. I, I don't ever want to, like, make somebody feel uncomfortable for a technique that works in their brewery because that's their brewery. And that's what works for them, and that's what works for their customers, and that's what works for their bottom line. Just please do it properly, and please be upfront about what you've done. Yeah, hell yeah. And, I mean, just hearing you talk about your goes, I was like, Matt, I, that sounds good. I want some of that. But, you know, <laughs> it's like there's there's a place for all these beers, but just like any beer, you know, done well is the key thing. You know, it's like lagers are tricky, you know. So it's like I almost view that as the same. It's like if you're not – willing to commit to the craft on making a great lager, you're going to have typical lager off flavors. You know, it's, I don't see why it's any different or a touchier sure. subject, but to be honest, I, one thing I worry about with that is, you know, are we preaching to the choir a little bit? I think we're getting a lot of people who are new to sour beers. And so that's good to, to reiterate this and that people know that these are the off flavors. This is a, a volatile style. You need to take care when it comes to this. But, you know, realistically, I think we're all interconnected. People who listen to this show have read Embrace the Funk. People who listen to this show are reading Sour Beer blog. And on they're a member of Milk the Funk. Hopefully after tonight or when these shows post, we'll get over 10,000 on Milk the Funk. That'd be nice. That'd be cool. Yeah. And that's the constant conversation on there. So it's like no one has the, the wool pulled over their eyes in this group, but... I'd say, you know, you've got some apprehension about bringing this up, Brandon, but I would encourage all the people who care about, you know, making kettle sours really well to always bring it up and have this be an open conversation because the people who aren't, a, you know, a part of these groups need to be brought in and, you know, we all need to get on the same page about here are the common uh, off flavors, here's how to troubleshoot them next time. Here's how to, you know, proper, pr properly prepare your lactobacillus. You know, we just had a question about it. How do you do it from grain? How do you do it from probiotics? How do you do it from, 
yogurt? How do you do it from this lab with this strain, this lab from that strain? It's like, let's just get all, all get together, talk about it, get on the same page. How do you prevent oxygen from getting in there? Let's all get together on this and just make the best beer possible. And, you know, I feel like there's like a little bit of uh, tippy-toeing around this issue when, you know, how, how can you say that that's... That, what, what, what other style does that apply to? It's like, oh, bourbon barrel aged out. Don't make it unless you know how to, you know, stop your barrel from leaking or have the proper percentage of chocolate malt. You know, that, I don't know if those conversations are as widespread as the kettle sour debate. Well, but. it definitely is like the 500-pound gorilla in the room. Just the difference is he's not in the corner. He's in the middle of the room. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And don't worry also about preaching to the choir. It's totally fine. The choir needs to remember the melody. Mm-hmm. And the choir also remembers, uh, needs to remember to donate to every month to the BN. <laughs> yeah. And thank our sponsors. <laughs> thank you. Thank yeah. you, Brandon. <laughs> and get you one of those, uh, get you one of those brew gurus. Brew guru. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. That was a, a terrific run, Brandon. Thanks for staying up late with us. Um, I want to get you out of here with this. Where can people find First off, Yazoo Brewing Company Yazoo. beer. Yazoo, bro. And Yazoo. the Embrace the Funk program beers. Uh, Yazoo, so we distribute uh, to the entire state of Tennessee and Mississippi. Uh, we have limited distro in Denver, uh, Evansville, Indiana, and uh, in Manhattan, New York. So uh, look, uh, you know, check it out up there. Um, Carla Hall's restaurant. Like I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to kind of throw a bone out there to our local girl, Carla Hall, that uh, has hot chicken in Brooklyn. Oh, yeah. Uh, you, can, you can have a uh, Yazoo beer on draft there. So uh, I think they've only got three taps and uh, it's used some Nashville hot chicken and uh, some Nashville beer in Brooklyn. Denver, we distribute through uh, Crooked Stave Artisans. So uh, at the finer shops that uh, our uh, awesome distro out there uh, uh, sells our beer to. And uh, in Tennessee, you can always find at least four or five bottles in our tap room of ETF. Uh, we run three taps uh, constantly of uh, funky beer. Our uh, uh, state of funk citizenship that we do, we uh, we do 150 members in that, and our members actually get a free pint every time they come in the tap room of ETF. Ooh. So, Hell yeah. if we des- if we decide to do that program uh, next year, uh, be on the lookout for that because um, you get eight uh, eight exclusive bottles that are single barrel, non blended. You get a, a ticket to our annual Funk Fest, which is uh, held in uh, May of every year. Uh, we limit that to, uh, I think this year we did 300 tickets. We actually might drop it down to 250, 275 this year. It's an uh, intimate experience with a lot of rare uh, rare beers. Uh, it's all sour and funky beer. Uh, we usually have a collab this year. Um, I was lucky enough to do another collab with my with uh, our buddy uh, Lauren Salazar at uh, New Belgium. We did oh, yeah. uh, the adventures of uh, Jimmy Mitchell and Michelle West uh, <laughs> this year. So um, that was on draft there. Just <laughs> that's a story for another day, I think. <laughs> that's, that's, and I might not be able to continue after that one. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, the ETF beers are uh, are definitely uh, a little more rare on the side of what Yazoo does. Um, Yazoo does, uh, I think, about uh, twenty five thousand barrels a year. So uh, ETF, um, maybe we do a, a distro around a thousand barrels a year, uh, twelve hundred maybe uh, this year. But most of the time, you can find uh, pretty much anything you need to in the tap room and uh, Metro Nashville, uh, Memphis, Chattanooga, Knoxville. Awesome. Well, if you guys are out there and in, in any of those areas, definitely 
Check out the Yazoo Brewing Company beer and especially the Embrace the Funk series. Jimmy, I just want to thank you. Oh, wait, sorry. Brandon, I just want to thank you so much for joining us tonight. Uh, what a great show, and uh, can't wait to see your face again sometime soon. Absolutely, buddy. All right. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Brandon. So uh, I don't think we have a lot of time left, but just that was an awesome show. I'm going to have to decompress all that at some point, but I want to remind everyone out there, uh, just to follow along in the uh, process of our collaboration, we mentioned that a lot more in the first show. It's a, it's like we said, it's crowdsourced. We want you guys to be a part of it. Follow along at the Rare Barrel, at Yazoo Brew, at Embrace the Funk on the social medias, facebook.com slash milkthefunk. Tune into the Sour Hour for regular updates. Search for hashtag Sour Collab and see the picture of Brandon <laughs> happily holding a bottle of beer in front of a large pig, I guess. Uh, well, in front of the flyer for the event about the large pig. He yes. said there was a pig nearby, so I'm yes. just assuming it's slightly out of view. Yes. But go online, check that out. What else? Is that it, Scott? Yeah, should we, definitely it. Should we call this an episode? Wow. Yes, let's. That's that's going to be one of our longer ones, I believe. Oh, way long. Yeah. yeah. And we're going to let's stick around after this and let's grab have beer. some discussions. Yes. Thank you, Scott. You're welcome. Big thanks to Brandon Jones, Yazoo Brewing Company. Terrific beers. Lots of good stuff from Embrace the Funk. And thank you to all of our sponsors and to you listeners. Thank you. We'll see you soon on the Sour Hour. Stay sour. Stay sour.